when I was working and when I was running at the same time. That's literally all that I did. I would wake up, I'd go for a run, I'd go to work, I'd come home, do some stretching, maybe go for a second run, and then I'd go to bed. And I did that like every day for three years. My social life was almost zero. Excellence is about spending, and excellence is a requirement for your dream come true. Welcome to Unfiltered Athletes. I'm your host, Leo. In this podcast, we go behind the scenes with world-class athletes to reveal the untold stories of their journeys. From grueling training sessions to mental strategies to achieve greatness, get ready for a raw, unfiltered look at the world of sports. In this episode, three-time Canadian champion marathoner Trevor Hofbauer joins us on the podcast. He tells us all about his rise to being one of the top Canadian long-distance runners. While initially a basketball lover, he realized later in his adulthood his potential for running. So, in 2016, he decided that he wanted to make it to the Olympics. To reach that goal, he focused for three full years on this objective, training early in the morning and late at night on top of his full-time job, leaving his social life aside. Trevor gives us an amazing testimony of perseverance and dream quest. Note that we lost the first six minutes of the recording, so we will jump right into it. Yeah, my transition was like right around age 19, 20. Uh, that's when I started to get a little bit more competitive with running. Uh, I grew up playing basketball, soccer, golf, swimming, uh, I don't know, hockey, like pretty much name a sport and I was playing it to some degree. And yeah, it was, it was my later years that I got into running just because I wanted something to be, um, I just wanted something to be competitive with. And when I was going to school, I just wanted mm -hmm. extracurricular. So that's where I kind of started. Okay. And what is in your memory, your first, uh, I would say notable result, um, or, you know, Uh, uh, record or any any race that comes to mind as being the first one where you said, "Oh, that might be more than just uh, just a hobby or just a, a side sport." Yeah, I think it was it was in Philadelphia in 2015. Yeah, November okay. 2015 in Philadelphia, I ran a half marathon and I ran 104. At the time, in terms of Canadian athletics, it was pretty good, and that was the first race where I was like you know what, maybe, maybe there's something here. Like, let's keep exploring this and just keep, keep plugging away. Right. So, so you were, yes, yeah, so you, you were not older, like 23, 24, maybe at that point, 23, I think. Uh, yeah. Is that, are you like a, a late bloomer for, for that discipline? Uh, no. Well, when I got into When I got into running, like in my later years, I got into cross country. I was on the cross country team, um, but then I really enjoyed doing the half marathon and the 10K on the roads. I just enjoyed the roads because mm -hmm. you could just take in so many unique sites and I just didn't like being confined to a track. So uh, I just specialized on the road and yeah, I just found that I was like better at longer distances as well. Um, so t today, are you... Uh professional athletes and if so what is considered being a professional athlete when you're a um, like long distance runner because it's, it's one question that i ask to like to ask uh often it's just 
from sport to sport, it's so different. Some say you never become a pro in that sport. Some say that's when you get a contract. Some say that's when you win an international level race, whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, so are you a pro? And if, if so, what is the, uh, the criteria for that? Yeah, I'm a pro. Uh, I consider being a professional when you're getting paid, when you have contract. So, yeah. But I also uh, think that for you, what type athletes, of I think there's a lot of other athletes mm -hmm. in Canada that don't have a contract signed. Uh, sponsorship is really tough in Canada. So I think that there's other athletes in Canada who don't have contracts. I would consider them pros. But I know that, like, by definition, to be professional at something is to get paid for it. So that's the lens that I'm looking through. But I think that there's other athletes who don't have contracts that are professionals as well. And what do you uh, what do you call contract? Is it like a sponsorship with a brand, like shoe brand, um, anything like this? Yeah, I'm sponsored by Saucony. I'm also sponsored by Morden. Um, so those are two great companies that have supported me for the last four or five years. And I really appreciate them mm -hmm. for everything that they've done. So they always have my back. And yeah, I just hope that I can represent them to the best of my ability. Yeah, and is that something that uh, is or has been at some point a factor of stress? Uh, the financial aspect is not something that is very much talked about in the world of sports, especially in you know when you're not a hockey player, when you're not a basketball player. Has that ever been for you a source of stress, like finding those uh, those financial supports uh, instead of focusing on the sport itself? Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it attributes to a huge amount of stress. Um, For me, getting into the sport, I created like a pathway forward, like a little 10-year plan, pretty much. And I worked for multiple years at a regular daytime job, and I ran on the side, and I just made a, I made a balance. Like, I would get out the door at 5 o'clock in the morning, or I'd run at 11 p.m. Wow. Um, I would just make things balance. And there were just choices that I made in my life to make sure that I was able to run and work at the same time. So uh, during those years, I was able to save up a decent amount of money. And then once I found that I was at a good spot, then I decided to take my, my savings and invest in myself. And I invested into myself until I made the Olympic team. And at that point, I was almost at zero. And wow. that race in 2019 was like do or die. So thankfully, things played out the way that I had hoped. and did work out but it was a huge risk and i might not be sitting here right now with you if things had played out differently so that was kind of a lifetime gamble <laughs> in a way so you kind of put a lot of years of work and, and like i said saving to spend a few years living off your savings and then hoping that something clicks and that there's like a tipping point where you get the sponsor so that you can stop working on the side and and run at better hours and then just get better right so it's a it's kind of a infinite loop that might just never end if or just completely end if you just cannot make ends meet anymore right yeah yeah and it was it was incredibly risky uh but if i were to look back and go back and do it all over again i would 1000 do it again but i mm -hmm. think the biggest thing for me is even though it was super risky i had ultimate self-belief in myself and i knew that i was going to make it it was just a matter of like how i was going to do it and I was just really hungry and really confident in myself. And I never expressed that outwardly. I kept that pretty internal. So uh, I think I just, I did everything right to make it happen. And I was very thankful that <laughs> that big risk that I took paid off.
And how long was that uh, that period where you say you were working? So probably the moment you left university or finish uh, finish studying up until 2019. You said how long was that that period of time? And did that wear you out a bit? Because it's just like a nine to five job, 40 hours a week job is can get people exhausted. But also you were running with the objective to become an Olympian. So I would assume that's another 20 easily 20 uh, hours a week of well physical activity. So yeah, how. How did you? How long did that last? And uh, how? What was your well, secret recipe to to go through that? Apart from the motivation itself. Uh, yeah, yeah. To yeah, to get a full understanding of that, like when when I was working and when I was running at the same time, that's literally all that I did. Like, I would wake up, I'd go for a run, I'd go to work, I'd come home, do some stretching. Um, like maybe go for a second run and then I'd go to bed and I did that like every day for three years. My social life was almost zero and <laughs> I didn't hang out too much with my family. Like I was so dialed in and so focused and those were the only two areas of my life that I put time towards. And so mm -hmm. those were the choices that I made at the time to make it happen. Um, and then moving forward from there, uh, Yeah, sorry. What was the second part to the question there? So how long and, and how do you stay? So you said three years of just well grinding it out, uh, no social life, less um, not not seeing family, friends and all that. So what keeps you going if it's not it's not money, it's the passion itself, it's the objective itself, it's kind of the, 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 the light at the end of the tunnel. What is What was the thing that was making you happy in the morning when you woke up at five and went to bed at like 11 after two runs and X amount of uh, hours of work? Yeah, yeah. For me, it was uh, it was truly believing that I was going to make it, and I knew that if I just kept my foot on the gas and just kept going and going and going, that I was going to make it. Um, so that I was just really motivated internally to get to where I wanted to be, and that was to be at the Olympics. So that mm -hmm. that motivated me every morning. That was my focus every day. And uh, like, if I had a bad race, I would put that race time up on my upon my door so i'd see it every day and that would be a reminder of like pull up your socks and do do the work that you need to do um to be better than your previous results kind of thing um so i just like i set little reminders for myself that i was always aware of and yeah i, I was really internally motivated mm -hmm. so probably the highest point is when is that the 2019 race which you mentioned which we'll get to but it, looking back those three years how many low points and what's the lowest point that you remember uh, going through maybe you know a race that you were not happy about or you know getting sick getting injured whatever it may, it might be uh, what's or is like, there one specific memory that you or or a few like leading up to 2019 mm -hmm. yeah uh i need to think back a little bit i went through multiple injuries like leading up to 2019 I had a stress fracture in my tibia when I first started out running because when I first started running, like I wasn't that strong and I just suffered from shin splints and the shin splints never really went away. So shin thing with shin splints is it either gets better or it gets worse. And if it gets worse, it ends up being a stress injury. And that's what happened to me. So that took like, that was a pretty severe injury. Uh, I think that took months to rehab from. Uh, but outside of that, yeah, there's like some illnesses in there. Um, 
that are untimely. Like sometimes I'd get an illness three weeks out from a race, but then I'd be able to manage it really well. And I was still able to perform on race day. And there were some smaller injuries like sprained ankles and other stress reactions, kind of injuries like that. But whenever an injury came up, I just made sure that I stayed very present in the moment. And I just lived day by day and just made sure that I was doing everything right on a day-by-day basis to make sure that the injury was being recovered and that I was going to be coming back stronger. So that's kind of where my focus was in those moments. So even though they were sometimes lows, I knew that if I just focused on the recovery, then I would be able to build back up and it would help get me back to where where I wanted to be back on that path. Mm-hmm. And so for the, the motivators, you mentioned that internal motivation, passion, that, that clear objective. Were there any external factor that also uh, helped you keep going? So you mentioned no social life, but you have like a uh, girlfriend, uh, friends, family, anyone that was pulling you up, coaches, uh, other runners that had the same objective. How was your kind of, I would say, external motivation uh, looking like? Yeah, there during that time period when I was working and I was running, there was no girlfriends. <laughs> that mm-hmm. was just not even on my radar. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I, I have a really good group of friends back at home. Uh, there's five of us in the group. And, like, we all work really hard. We all have different professions as well. And it's just really... We bring unique sets of skills to the table. So we stay in constant contact and we keep each other accountable for our actions. And uh, we just want to see each other do really well. So we're very encouraging of each other. And same with my family. Uh, like my sister and I are very close and we both want to be successful in whatever we do. And uh, that's the same with uh, my uncle and some of my cousins. So for me, like those closest people to me, uh, Mm-hmm. Like we all feed off of each other and those are my externals. Nice. Um, and so what was your, your job? You, you mentioned that nine to five or 40 hours a week, but what did you do exactly? And was that uh, at all related at related to, sorry, your, uh, your sport? Yeah, I was a technical representative for New Balance and my territory right. was Alberta, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. So I worked that job for almost two years and I worked at Strides Running Store in Calgary. Uh, before that, I worked at Sportcheck for a little bit. I worked at McKinsey Meadows Golf Course uh, in Calgary for a bit. And uh, I worked at, yeah, I worked at Brewster's in McKenzie Town. I worked three jobs at the same time. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, saving up, saving up for the dream. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. I was working three jobs at the same time before I was working for New Balance. And then once I worked for New Balance, then I could <laughs> clear things out. Um, but yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so actually your olympics.ca profile or page, I think still shows that you work. It's, it shows works at a running store in Calgary. So is that outdated? Should we ask them to remove that part? Or are you still <laughs> kind of active on and off? No, Stride's running store is one of the best running stores in the country. Uh, okay. I think that they do a phenomenal job. And uh, I haven't worked there for a while, but we're not changing that because I'm so proud okay. of that store. And Jeremy okay, Deere. Yeah, Jeremy Deere has been like one of my biggest supporters uh, ever since day one. So I'm we're not removing so that. Okay, so you still have your LinkedIn page that says you work with, with those guys. Yeah, yeah. And I'm very proud of it. So we're <laughs> cool. 
Nice. Um, so that 2019 race, can you uh, explain a bit, if I'm not mistaken, from what I read, uh, you get your uh, personal best um, on the Toronto Marathon, which qualifies you with your time below, I think, 2.10, uh, automatically qualifies you for the Olympics. Uh, mm -hmm. Is that the one race? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was... Yeah, that and was... I read also that you ran that race with no watch. I don't know how incredible or not that is, or if it's common or not. Uh, but yeah, can you uh, dig into that and just how you got there and, and that specific day, how, how it went? Was it you know, according to plan or was it just running on feelings? Yeah, yeah, that, that's been the highlight of my career so far. Um, I think it's, the, it's my second best performance, even though it's my fastest time. I think my best performance was still Boston last year. Um, but going up to that race, Toronto Waterfront Marathon in 2019, like my training was flawless. I knew that it was an opportunity to hit one, two birds with one stone. If I placed top Canadian and ran under standard, then I would be automatically selected to the Olympic team. So I was like, this is like, this is the opportunity on a golden platter. Like, let's seize this opportunity and make it happen. So that was my, my, like my focus every single day. I had a written out, I had it on the top of my mind. Like that was my only focus for like four months straight was to hit a home run in Toronto. Everything else didn't matter. Like I think leading up to that race in Edmonton, I ran a half marathon of like 107. Who cares? It was a big training day. It's a slow time on paper, but like it was just a part of the plan. I had a big training day there, so uh, that's fine. I didn't run that fast in the 10K leading up in September, but again, I had like 160 kilometers in my legs. So like even though the results leading up to that race don't really indicate 209, it was all a part of the plan, and that plan was like close to me, but nobody else really knew about it. So uh, then on race day in Toronto, I knew the day before that there was going to be a pacer for Olympic standard. And uh, it, it was pretty easy to me that knowing we were going to have a group of people and knowing that we we're going to have pacers, you don't need to wear a watch. Like their, their job is to run the pace. Their job is to mm -hmm. check their watch. Their job is to take care of all that stuff. I didn't think of a single thing that race. My mind was so blank. I was just like right there in the moment just worrying about my effort and making sure that I was the top guy out of that group. And it just worked. It was seamless and it was flawless. And I know that a lot of people have talked about the whole watch thing, but for me, there was already somebody wearing a watch and there was somebody doing that job. So that was just yeah. one thing that I could take off my mind. And for me, it wasn't that big of a the, deal. The, the pacers, are they... Um... Are they other Olympic athletes that just say, oh, on that race, I'll be the one giving the rhythm? Or is it different? It's different. So our pacer, I forget his first name in the moment here, but his last name was Kogo. Uh, he came over from Africa, and he was very fit at that time. I think he took me through 35 kilometers. Um, yeah, he did a very good job. And he's paced that race a couple times. So it's always very fit individuals. doesn't necessarily have to be Olympic level. Okay, but I, I would assume if that guy can pace for the Olympic uh, Olympic threshold, then he probably is an Olympic contender, right? Yeah. Or is he not? Yeah. Or he can only run 35K because after that, it's just, <laughs> it's his right. maximum. I don't know, but probably, yeah, probably other. I, I was just curious because I, I knew about the term pacer, but I was curious to know who are those people and do they just uh, volunteer for that or are they kind of uh, 
assigned by the committee of that race and be like, oh, that you're the the, the pacer for that race. Yeah, I'm just curious yeah. about the whole stuff because for you it's perfect. The the and having someone like that is is what helps you focus on the run itself, not just to watch check your watch every every single uh, kilometer. Totally. Yeah, I'm unsure of the logistics logistics behind the scenes, but I know that they're taken care of uh, to get the job done. So, yeah. Okay. And so after that um, that race 2019, it qualifies you for the uh, the Olympics. Uh, how did that go or not go? Uh, yeah, that whoa. that was a wild time period. It all seems like such a big blur. <laughs> yeah. Because like 2019, I run the race in October, and then I went down to Flagstaff, and we were down to Flagstaff. There is, how we said, like four or five of us. And we're all training. Uh, I had a couple friends that were going to be doing the London Marathon. I think it was the London Marathon. Yeah, I forget if it was exactly that. Either way, they were training for a spring marathon. I was down there helping them out. And I was also getting ready for World Half Marathon Championships. And then COVID hit. So everybody had to go home and the world kind of shut down. So that, yep. that just postponed everything for a full year. And then... I was just kind of in a holding pattern for that year. And yeah, that holding pattern was wild. So in March of, yeah, in March of 2021, I suffered a stress reaction in my sacrum. And it was like borderline fracture reaction. It was like, it was pretty close. Uh, that was in my sacrum and also in my pelvis. And I was at the time in Vancouver, I was training out there and I was at an Airbnb. The bed was like pretty old. So I was just getting, my body was, yeah, there was just pressure on my lower back because of the way that the bed was shaped. And Jeez, uh, I was training pretty hard. So things just like kind of seized up and it started putting some pressure on the bones. So uh, I was on, at the beginning of April, I was in crutches and I couldn't walk. And I could barely, like, I could just barely do day-to-day -day stuff. And that was how many months before you got April, May, June, July. It was like five months before Olympics. So, uh, yeah, I had to deal with that five months before the Olympics. And then somehow I was able to get my body back in a year. And I had a pretty intense cross-training program. And I was able to get back on my feet and get back into get back into running in time. Um, but the Olympics was the Olympics. It was hard. There was quarantine and we had so many loopholes to go through and there were just tough personal challenges by, by multiple people. So it was just like, it was crazy. <laughs> I don't think I'm capturing enough of like how wild it was, but it, like, we're probably yeah, going to it's an hour about the Olympics. The Olympics, it Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the Olympics in general for any athlete, I would say, is kind of the silver lining. The one thing on a four-year period that you kind of target and you probably get your body ready for that peak moment. And when you're just told that it's going to be one year later and in the middle of that you have an injury, it's probably the, <laughs> not the easiest uh, thing to uh, to deal with. So how did that, uh, that race go? Uh, on that race day, how did it go? Were you happy and happy uh, about the results? Yeah, looking back on it now... I'm happy about it because it was a representation of the work that I put in over the years. It was a representation of the community back at home that supported me, representation of my family, my friends. Um, so it wasn't 
it wasn't my race. It was everyone's race. And just to see the group of my group of friends and supporters show up at Toolshed Brewery and watch, watch the race live. And even some friends out at bars that were watching it live and just sending screenshots. Like I realize now that it wasn't, it wasn't my race. It was everyone's race. So I'm very proud of it for that aspect. Uh, but personally, I was just like, I lost my grandmother the day before I flew out, didn't have time to grieve. So I was like me personally was, I was in a really, really low spot. I just, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't want to be there. I just want to be back at home. It was, it was challenging. So I don't think I performed up to my standard. I truly believe I'm top 20 in the world. And uh, on that day, I was 47. So that's not good enough. I need to be better. Yeah. And that's so now. Next, next, uh, next year? I hope so. Yeah. Yep. So, world's, uh, world's the... faster, so I'm just working on yeah. getting up there. Are, are there... Uh... I mean, there is like a um, an Olympic threshold. Uh, probably a few races where you can qualify. What are those, and what is uh, your your next big big race in that case for you? Yeah, I'm still working that out for the rest of this year. So, um, yeah, I'm not too sure what the rest of my fall looks like, but yeah, hoping to get into a marathon. And when I do, uh, then yeah, it will be showtime. And and is there a is there a marathon at the, the um, track and field world championships that are end of the month or not? There are, yeah, yeah. So that's in Budapest. There's going to be a marathon there, and we have a pretty strong team. Like Rory Linkletter is in there. Same with Ben Preisner, Justin Kent. Uh They're going to run really well. So you don't? You go Pardon? yourself? Do you go yourself? No, no. I broke my toe back in uh, back in May. Oh, okay, okay, I know that. Yeah. So you're recovering I, for now? I was, yeah, yeah, it's better now. I kicked a chair and it broke, so whatever, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so when is the, I mean, do you know when you'll be back at, or hope to, to get back to top shape? Uh, will be still a, a few months from now? You still have a, a full year to, to qualify, but yeah, what's the, is there a plan or is it just like week per week or even day per day that you uh, you see stuff coming? Yeah, for me right now, it's still day-to-day. I'm just trying to build, get some consistency under my belt. Uh, it's been kind of tough to get consistency. And for me, like, you have to be consistent with your routine. That's how you're going to see results. So, mm-hmm. so and, and on a more general, uh, personal um, thing, do you, do you think you already reached your, your peak, uh, per- peak performance? Or do you think it's still ahead of you? You're you're my age, and you're and you started your late bloomer in a sense, so you probably have more years uh, to go. But yeah, how do you feel in your overall career? What do you think you're you're standing now? Yeah, I don't think I've scratched the surface of my potential yet. So I think I've seen glimpses okay. of it, um, uh-huh. but I still have so much more work to do, and I'm just I still want to hit that. So yeah. and I think 2019 at the time was the second. Uh, best uh, Canadian time uh, in history on the marathon. Is it still the the second best time? And uh, whether it, it is or not, uh, is it the Canadian uh, uh, record uh, on your um, bucket list? Man, Cam Levins is way too good. There is no way <laughs> I'm ever going to get the Canadian record in the marathon. <laughs> See, you so, said you, you haven't scratched the surface, but why not? <laughs> yeah, for me, like I think my potential sits around like 207, 208. I think that's like if I were to hit one of those two numbers, 
I would be happy to call it a career because like that's where I think my my ceiling is. Um, okay, but man, well, so I can get you a, a few good results. <laughs> to see him, uh, like, to see him go through the Olympics and to see him bounce back from his performance and become the athlete who he is today is incredible. I love it, and I just respect the hell out of the guy. So there's no way I'm ever touching him. <laughs> that is so far out. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay that's fair that's fair yeah. um so and and on the more personal uh things um we discussed a bit about the the financial aspects of of things but you said you haven't reached your peak so you have many more years to go but are, are do you sometimes think about the after career and what might be next if you think you will stay in the running world in the sport world or if you would just uh you know switch completely gears and and go into more of a corporate uh type of job and yeah what will be Uh, once you retire, say at 45 years old, <laughs> assuming you run until 45. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I just I just went back to school right now, so I'm in psychology, and I hope to get mm -hmm. into education and get an education degree and become a teacher. Uh, I've also thought about getting into firefighting, so those are two of my leading candidate. Those are two of my leading professions after my career is done. Uh, but also the world is a big place and it's changing quickly. There's so many different job opportunities. So, um, yeah, maybe I create something and go down that route again and just play risky again. Um, or I can just play it safe, but yeah, I, I'm just really open to opportunity and I just keep my doors open. So we'll mm -hmm. see how that kind of plays out. Okay. Or, or go back to basketball and make it to the NBA or you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever opportunity you can get. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Thing. I don't have any skills in basketball anymore. <laughs> uh, how, how tall are you? Because you, you seem tall. I mean, on, on the big six and what, six four, six yeah, five, six three, six three. Okay, so uh, tall enough to make it to the to the NBA. That's fine. <laughs> not, not too big of a deal. Um, yeah, and I saw so on on I think on your website um, that you write a bit, or is it blogs and stuff like that, or do you have uh, like a side hidden passion about uh, yeah, writing and and putting words yeah. in paper i got i got no side gigs right now uh i used to maintain my website for the last blog post that i have is from 2019 so okay. i've been thinking about resurrecting that but um yeah i my time is pretty full right now so it's just tough to find that time and i also don't know what kind of content i can create that would be appealing to others so that's another side of it too okay and uh, so assume you have Uh, right now, it's for me, it's 2.47 p.m. You have two minutes with uh, 10-year-old Trevor, and you can you know, talk to him, give him a few advice, or he can give you a few advice. What do you think the conversation would look like? Oh, to like a 10-year-old version of me? Yeah. Oh, man. I've never thought about that. <laughs> yeah, I... I think when I was younger, I had a really good role model in my uncle and he okay. said the right things at the right time. And I think that he was that perfect person in my life. So looking back and if I were ever to talk to a 10 year old version of myself, I would tell him to go talk to my uncle Glenn. <laughs> That's nice. At least you know you 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 uh, you push back and you you send him somewhere else. That's interesting. Um, 
uh, say what are two or three uh, advice that you got from this uncle that uh, you still uh, apply uh, to this day? Yeah, my my uncle was a very he is a very hardworking individual. Um, but for him, like some of some of the parallels between him and I is like we weren't top A student in class, um, but we but we worked hard and um, like we put our effort out there. So he always focused on effort before results and uh he really taught me the importance of that he also taught me that uh no matter what i want to do just be the best at it so he he told me that even if i wanted to be a janitor who cares what the profession is just focus on being the best that you can be in that profession so that really resonated with me and it was pretty simple mm -hmm. but it was effective and that's what i've taken with my whole life um especially with running i just focused on When I first got into running, right, it's like, okay, how good do I want to be? Or like, how hard do I want to work? Like, what are my goals? And I just set the bar like right at the Olympics because that's basically being the best, right? So yeah, that resonated with me. It allowed me to focus in on what I wanted to get out of things. And yeah. Nice. So those were just like a couple uh, for him. Yeah. Cool. If uh, another one question that you probably don't expect, if there was a book about you, autobiography or written by someone else, what would be the title of that book? <laughs> uh, I asked that question uh -huh. once and it just popped. I was like, oh, if you want an unexpected question, here's one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. I've always tried to think about like being quiet in the work that I do and being humble um, at any given time of day, but also being so relentless and just basic, like just being a killer in whatever I do. Right. So it's going to, going to sound like kind of a dark mentality as like, silent killer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, okay, no, it, it makes sense. But I, I agree. But working, working hard, but not bragging about it. Just doing it for you, and you know, people just realize that someday you're at the Olympics. But you probably didn't, you know, brag about that all around. You seem to be a very quiet and and kind of laid back person. So it it seems to me from that one hour discussion that it's uh, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and like the term killer is from basketball. It's like okay, when. Michael Jordan's playing one on one with somebody like Michael Jordan's just going to kill him one on one. So that's kind of where that term comes from. So that's like kind of the mentality that I have with running is like I I really focused on athletes like Michael Jordan and uh, Kobe Bryant. Yeah, the and, black mamba. It's not a nice uh, animal that is here to <laughs> kiss and give hugs, right? So yeah, it's a killer yeah. instinct. Like, They, they were known for their mentality and their work ethics. So I drew a lot of inspiration from that. So when I got onto the race course, like I would just focus on myself and being the top dog and like nobody else in the field mattered. So I just like blank out and just uh, go to work. And I just focused on being, being the top guy. So I think like back to your question about an autobiography book, it'd just be like, uh, I don't know the peregrine falcon it's like the peregrine falcon is one of the fastest fastest animals on the planet but it's dead quiet so yeah 
Makes Maybe sense. That's Perfect. Me. Interesting. There's a lot of uh, thought around that question. It's interesting. Um, if there was one person uh, that that you know, um, an athlete, Canadian or not, um, any sport that you think will have an interesting story to tell here on the podcast, who's the pers first person that uh, comes to your mind? Uh, yeah, we got a lot of good athletes in Canada. Uh, of course, I want to give a shout out to my current training partners, Ben and Justin. Um, like they're great individuals and I think they have great stories. Uh, one of my best friends, Evan Esselink, he's no longer in the sport, but he has a pretty cool story. Uh, trying to think of, there's someone out East that I was thinking of. You'll tell me offline worst case, worst case, but I wrote down uh, Ben and Justin, so I'll try to, to reach out to them first. Yeah. I think maybe like, a person like Eric Gillis. Nobody's heard from Eric Gillis for a while, and he's the coach at CNFX. I just think okay. he might have a cool story. Like going from professional athlete, um, he's one of the best marathoners in Canadian history, and then transitioning over into a head coaching position for a major university. I think he would have a pretty cool story to share. Cool, perfect. So I'm thinking I'm taking that one down as well. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and the last question, which is uh, the the recurring one, it's so I'm building a, a museum of sports up north in my chalet, which is I'm, I'm actually accumulating stuff for now. Uh, it's not yet built, uh, but I'm trying to get a, a gear from the athletes that came on the podcast. So, do you have anything? And if not, <laughs> will you uh, keep one one day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll try and find something i don't have a lot <laughs> when yeah. it comes to my memorabilia yeah so uh, so yeah you, you told me before the just before we started recording that you're you're the you have like two bibs or whatever from your two best races maybe but usually you just throw stuff away <laughs> and you're not accumulating stuff uh, in your uh, bedroom or uh, suitcase or anything which is yeah. which seems to be rare yeah i drive a small a small hatchback So my okay. objective is to always have enough that, or yeah, my focus is always to have uh, as little to fit into that vehicle as possible. If I ever have, if if I ever have too much and it doesn't all fit in that vehicle, then it's just donated. Okay, so you, for example, your gear, your running shoes. So you just have one pair, you wear it out, then you throw it away and buy a new one. You never accumulate because runners and they all, I mean, usually runners that I've talked to or that I know, they have like a bunch of pairs, 10, 20 pairs, and they just choose which one you know fits the best day or fits the, the outfit, whatever. For you, it's just like one, wear it out, next, right? No, not quite, yeah. That's okay. the one thing that I'll have a lot of. Uh, okay. I have a lot of running shoes. I have a lot of running clothing because uh, that's what I do most frequently, but everything else don't have okay. a lot of minimalistic. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, um, are you, uh, are you active on, uh, on social media? Where should the listeners um, follow you if you want to be followed as an athlete and as a person? Oh yeah. Uh, I'm not super active on social media. Uh, it can be very time consuming. So I try and stay away from it, but I have accounts. I have an Instagram account. I have a Strava account. And I have a Twitter account. I also Sweet. have a LinkedIn, but I don't. Like, uh, I've logged into it once. <laughs> okay, perfect. Sweet. So I'll put that in the notes if uh, people want to follow you. So what can we, uh, what can we wish you for, uh, let's say, the next uh, 365 days? Uh, Or slightly more. So that's uh, slightly more. Let's say 400 days. So it captures all of August 2024. Yeah, yeah. 
an Olympic qualifying time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And the race itself, because uh, it's it's in almost a month from now, a year from now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, awesome. Yeah, I think that's about it. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Trevor. Wish you, well, good uh, recovery and uh, getting that qualifying time as soon as possible so you can focus on just uh, getting ready for the, the D-Day. And yeah, I hope I'll see you on TV next uh, next year and maybe before that. Thanks, Leo. I appreciate your Thanks. time. Thanks. Bye. Bye. If you're still here, it's probably because you liked the episode, right? So if you want the podcast to grow and get more exceptional athletes, you can play your part by following us on your favorite podcast platform and on Instagram at unfiltered.athletes. It really helps us. And until next time, enjoy life.